Hey Neha, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? I've been looking forward to this since the day we made plans to yes, catch I'm up. Looking forward to it too. <laughs> Great. So let me quickly get the introduction out of the way before we hand over the virtual mic sure. to you. So um, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Ballistic Bomb. With me today is um, a friend who has known me for almost 30 years and it's, it's kind of weird saying that because it uh, gives my actual age away. <laughs> so uh, suffice to say that uh, she and I have, uh, we go back to 1993, which is a very long time back. And we were teens at that time. Mm -hmm. And we've, um, I'm so happy we've managed to keep in touch over the years. And her elder one was born just a few uh, months before my child. And that's why she's been my go-to person for all parenting advice, whether it's been uh, ferberizing, whether it's been potty training, whether it's how to manage myself while I'm dealing with my child. And um, is um, a licensed uh, family therapist. And she's extremely good at what she does, coupled with the fact that she's a mom to two beautiful children and she has a lot of hands-on training. So I've invited her on board today to discuss our segment on preteens and teenagers in general. And um, not just with COVID, but because of the way that our lifestyle and our world is changing, uh, we find that our children have become pretty much at risk or, or they have become a segment that we don't always know how to deal with. So to get the maximum input and the best um, kind of information from Neha, we're going to do this um, particular interview mm -hmm. in a couple of segments. So we don't really run into overtime. Now, um, I'm, I'm just going to hand over the mic to Neha right now. Say hello to a person who's a good friend, a therapist extraordinaire, and uh, a thank, mom. Over oh, to thank you, Neha. Thank you so much. That's such a kind um, introduction and welcome. So hello, everyone. My name is Neha. I live in Melbourne, Australia, where I moved in 2001. So I've been here pretty much half my life. Again, gives away my age. Um, I have been a psychologist for I've been a psychologist for 11 years now. I'm, I'm a registered psychologist with the Australian Psychological Society. Um, I have two beautiful children, aged 11 and seven. So I think I've been a psychologist for as long as I've been a mom. So I wish I could double my experience and you know say that I've mm -hmm. I've known what I'm doing for 22 years, but it doesn't work this way. Um, I love what I do. <laughs> I've got my own private practice. Um, and I've got intensive, sorry, extensive experience in parenting, um, both for myself as well. And I have a lot of clients that join my parenting programs as well. Great. I think um, that pretty much sets the stage as not only you being an expert, but you literally knowing what you're talking about because you carry out your own advice Absolutely. on a day-to-day -day basis, yes. <laughs> I'm sure. So, great. Uh, what I really want to know is um, what drew you towards this particular kind of therapy, family therapy, post yep. your master's degree? Was there any particular reason? Um, I think I uh, just the way life works out and the way, you know, I, I plan things. I was actually, um, I think, almost five, six months um, pregnant when I graduated. So I, you know, I, I became a therapist and a mom at the same time, officially speaking, around the same time. So um, just as I would, just for my um, research, I mean, for my work purposes, and for research as a mom myself, I kept, you know, coming across um, different articles and different studies and everything that I used with my son, the, the firstborn one at home as well. 
And then obviously I use that in my practice as well. So I think it just, I think that's the way the universe, I suppose, wanted it to be to, you know, lead me on my personal journey and my professional journey side by side each other. So I wear multiple hats, both of them at the same time. So I, I don't think it, I chose this part. The part chose me is how I feel. But that's a nice <laughs> way of putting it because I think a lot of times people go in for a career because of their life experiences or because they feel mm -hmm. a strong calling. So here it was a very organic, um, you absolutely. know, evolution yeah. for you, I guess. And, and I think that's the best time, right? That's, yes, that's absolutely. I think so. So uh, has there been uh, any uptick or an increase in certain types of cases that you see in practice, especially in the last couple uh, of years? That's a good question. The, the type of um, clients that I will have been working with have been pretty much the same, especially with the parenting and family therapy side of things. But I think this year, the pandemic and the mm -hmm. lockdown, uh, Melbourne has had the longest lockdown and things are slowly changing now in the last couple of weeks. So the lockdown and the pandemic have just intensified what was already pre-existing there. Um, some of the common things, um, or the common uh -huh. themes that I find, and, um, and you tell me if it's relevant to the children and parents in India as well, but um, what I find is, is the, um, I wouldn't say the obsession, but the, the, oh, I can't think of the word right now, the, um, the kids and screen time, <laughs> kids and Netflix, kids and Nintendo Switch or PlayStation, oh, you know, the, God, yeah. um, it, it's one of their primary forms of entertainment. And I do find that a lot of parents um, uh -huh. are struggling to draw some some boundaries, especially this year when we have had less of external outputs. We've had less, um, less you know, right. the parks have been closed for a while. The zoos have been closed. So the kids, especially at home, homeschooling, um, they haven't had many, many different forms of entertainment or different forms of activities that they can do, which they would have been able to do otherwise. So... Um, I mean, gaming and screen time obviously existed right. last year as well, but this year um, the boundaries around them, the discipline around them has just intensified um, in the people that I see walking through my door. Mm -hmm. But tell me this, mm -hmm. um, I don't exactly want to use the word hypocritical here, but aren't we kind of setting the mm -hmm. stage here? Because uh, when I say we, I mean the parents. Our children rarely see us without a device yeah. in our hands or somewhere close to interacting with the device. Mm. And when we draw these boundaries and we tell them it's not good for you, do you think um, that's giving a very mixed message? Or do you um, think I that's definitely strongly believe the in the fact the that monkey see, monkey do. So it is, um, the, you know, the children are seeing us a lot with our screen uh -huh. time, maybe for work purposes or for entertainment or to keep connecting with the friends so it is definitely hard for us to pass on that message I often have a chat mm -hmm. with my children in the house that you know yep mommy mommy's got the phone or the laptop because I'm doing work and they know that I am and I try and keep my entertainment purposes for screen time after they do go, go to bed it's not easy uh -huh. but I try and draw some boundaries for sure we um, we said we right. try and have some screen time uh, free moments in the house so where we will just decide to every every single day we'll just sit to sit and decide to chat or you know screen time during you know um, around dinner time or we'll sit and just read together so trying to model that right behavior um, is important but you're right when you say that kids you know do often um, almost all the time do see us with some of the other device in the house and it's hard for them to um, fully take on that message isn't it right yeah 
exactly because it almost seems like we're saying that it's okay yeah. for me because my work quote unquote is important but because yeah. i'm looking out for you it's it's not as good for you mm-hmm. so um yeah i mean it's something i struggle with as well in fact one of the things that uh, i really wanted to get your inputs from is we find it's a very common trend or practice these days hmm. to label people and children especially as being fragile and it's disturbing yeah. at multiple levels especially since i'm a mother as well but uh age you find that to be true and if you do why do you think that is why are um, we calling children so when you when you so say fragile, fragile do you mean they are acting um they are they, they appear to be quite sensitive and quite precious or when you say fragile do you mean that they're easily impacted um yeah. yeah i think a little bit of both i think their emotional output or the way they're mm. um you know yeah. the way they they take a look at things and their comprehension yes. and of course with children um to see is to do right i mean whether so that's the thing i mean why are children acting out more these days why are children uh universally being looked at more often, as um, being often at risk as these people feeling big things because their 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 emotions are quite intensified isn't it from what you're saying they they feel okay. they don't just feel upset they feel quite upset about things or they don't don't feel sad they're heartbroken about certain things um i i think right. being fragile and being being vulnerable is mm-hmm. i think it's quite beautiful and i wish more people were able to just handle that and appreciate a bit better um i've been reading um brene brown's um you know leading through vulnerability mm-hmm. i've got the book right next to me daring greatly and she talks about how um being vulnerable is 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 very important she shares um, have you have you read the book or heard about the book by any chance yeah I yeah. haven't, but I would love for you to absolutely uh, when you're winding up. Um, make she's a talking about being vulnerable so as, as sharing your feelings or experience yeah. with the people who have earned the right to um, earn the right to be there for you. Um, so I think it's um, I, I personally think it's it's great that mm-hmm. children are experiencing so many things um, and they're able to express it, but the parents struggle in how to. help them regulate those emotions better how to help them label them better and manage them better so i think emotions are important but children need to be taught and parents need to be taught how to um like i said label and regulate them better so i i personally and professionally in my my work i don't think feeling um, fragile or vulnerable is necessarily a bad thing does that help hmm okay that's great so if Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I suppose um, that not only might help you reach out for help, it might also help you get in touch with uh, yes. the things which are leading to you feeling vulnerable. So it's all good, right? I mean, whatever you're feeling, provided you Healthy can manner, process maybe? that yeah. in a in a yeah uh, a way which is not harmful to yourself. Exactly. Okay. So tell me this. You also mentioned that parents also need to learn how to deal with these things. So a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh being labeled fragile is it more of our outlook um by seeing what's going on in the world around us is it uh, so much as a child actually being vulnerable or is it more of us adults looking at them and not knowing how to deal with that level of emotional output or just that level of um how do i say Absolutely. this I mean, children are still wor- um a work mm-hmm. in progress right they're still finding their own way 
So do you find it more of the grown-ups not really knowing how to put the kids in yeah. neat little compartmentalized boxes? Um, without, or are, without, are the children you know, I'm sure it differs from, um, from child to child. But without seeing, you know, which particular children we're talking about, it would be hard for me to say if they are overreacting or they are just reacting. But I feel that the parents could definitely, be, them being the adults, their brains being okay. fully developed, um, they are the bosses, so to speak. They may not feel like that sometimes, but they are the ones responsible to, um, mm -hmm. so they they have the power, so to speak. Oh, yeah. They have the ability to handle the feelings coming from outside in and um, letting the children feel what they are feeling. Um, sometimes I mm -hmm. do find that parents are quite confused themselves, or they are unable to empathize or unable to empathize or understand oh, why yes. could a child be feeling that the world is ending just because they can't find their favorite pencil or you know just because like something something extremely silly just because a child didn't want to speak to them at recess in school why do they feel that no one in the world likes them completely so exactly. these are you know just a couple of examples that I could think of right now but these mm -hmm. are parents um, finding it hard to understand why something so small is meaning something so big in a child's mind and then they might feel or label the child as oh you're just being oversensitive or you know you're too vulnerable or you're being too fragile or you're being too silly you know you don't have to don't need to worry about that and then what happens is that that the child's feelings aren't validated they don't feel empathized they don't feel understood yeah and then more often than not judged. their their feeling of what mm. they're already feeling just intensifies even more because they don't feel heard so i think parents could definitely um play a bigger role and a bigger part in um, helping the child understand what they're going through and then giving the child the skills to regulate their own emotions. So instead of feeling 10 mm. out of 10, they could slowly bring it down to eight out of 10 or six out of 10 intensity wise, um, but only the parents can help them from outside in. Right. You know, um, uh, that's a very interesting thing that mm -hmm. you said that from a 10 out of 10, we gradually go down because that reminds me of this experiment we did in Microlab when mm -hmm. uh, we uh, were yeah. in our master's program and they were teaching us REBT. And um, they had all of us go around the room and list a particular yeah. incident, which was extremely stressful for us. And they didn't really want us to overthink it. They, they wanted us to think of something, let's say in the last... Uh, two, three years, which might have really okay. kind of upset the apple cart, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And they wanted us to list it on a scale of one to 100. And then as people went around mm -hmm. and did their sharing, yeah. they wanted us to take some time, mull it over and see if hearing what other people had to say brought yeah. down the intensity of our angst and pain. And except for one case Can't where compare. somebody had actually lost Absolutely. a parent and that's as final a loss mm -hmm. as it can be, right? There's no coming back from that. So barring that, pretty much everybody had a drastic reduction uh, in the intensity yeah. of what they had felt, including me. Mm -hmm. In fact, I looked at what I had listed yeah. and I thought, my God, am I that shallow? So um, what, what I do uh, want to know from you is, without it seeming like an indictment on parents, because even with two kids, sometimes I think we're still, Absolutely. every single day is like a new day mm -hmm. in parenting, right? Every single day is, is new. Do you think that... Um, when we become grown-ups, especially when we become when we become parents, we're slowly losing the ability to empathize with yeah. our kids. I mean, we were back there once upon a time. Why is there this gap in communication between um, us I feel and that, or I find so um, at work, and even with myself, that sometimes we are so preoccupied with our own feelings, without realizing what they are or what we can do about it, that there's less mental real estate left to deal with what the kids could be going through. So, for example, if if 
<laughs> I'm, I'm, I've stolen it from someone else. Thank there. you. Um, I feel that, you know, because we might be so tired. So say, for example, you okay. know, we all have the right to feel what we feel. And if you're feeling tired, or if you're feeling stressed, regardless of what your child is feeling, it'll be hard for you to, unless you have dealt with your feelings, unless you have regulated your own emotions and brought it down to a manageable sort of level, you will not have the mental capacity to understand or comprehend what's mm -hmm. going through, let alone trying to help them um, manage what's going on. So, you know, yeah, you're right. We, we forget. Right. And I often I have to do, take a step back mm -hmm. or, you know, tell my partner that, hang on, do you remember? At least, you know, I used to be much worse when I was their age or wait till this happens because this is what I used to do. So we all have some memories of stuff that we've done or we've gotten away with in our younger years. So a part of us does definitely know, IMD that I this know. is a part of growing up mm -hmm. uh, from our own experiences, from our role as moms or parents. We know that yeah, at the age of seven or at the age of 11 in my house, this is what is expected. But at the same time, the rational part of us, you know, the other side of us just wants it to mm -hmm. be sorted, especially if we're not feeling OK, we don't have the energy to deal with what's going on with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, you know, my husband is the more level-headed one and I'm the more reactive one at home. And there are times he tells me to just take a, a breath and take a step back and saying, you're you're mm -hmm. approaching our issues yeah. with our child as an adult. Mm. You have yeah. the benefit of hindsight and he doesn't. So it's okay yeah. if he takes everything you're saying with a pinch of salt because he doesn't know any better and you telling him things are going to get better uh, doesn't necessarily mm. ease up the cloud in inside his brain. For him, That's he's still right. very much within that moment facing that issue. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually used to think that being an adult no. would make things easier. It, it's, it definitely doesn't. That's right. And I think it's, it's really helpful in your household to have that, so, that opposite yeah. or the other energy from your partner, isn't it, where he's able to step in and, you know, sort of pull you up and say, hang on, uh -huh. you know, let's let's take a step back and let's let's be the rational side here as well. Um, in my household, my partner and I both sort of have the similar mm -hmm. energy. So yet one of us has to, you know, all right, take the emotional hat out and remind mm -hmm. the other one, let's you pick, let's pick our battles wisely or let's walk away, you know. So almost like we feel the same thing at the same time. So it's a bit trickier for us, but it's good to have that rational voice kicking in from inside of you or around you mm -hmm. for sure. Great. Tell me this. Um now, since you have been based in uh, Australia for a good long time and part of your growth mm -hmm. into adulthood has also been there, you've imbibed a lot of their culture, their energy, plus your own Indian heritage. Do you think you bring something uh, extra to the table because you have the benefit of two different cultures, uh, upbringings? I mean, has that shaped your sensibility um, uh, any better? At work or at in, home or uh, both? Being able to understand kids? Yeah. Um, let's say holistically, because the way yeah. you are at home, you're not entirely switching that part of yourself off when you're at work, right? I mean, there are things you yeah. draw upon yes. to be um, able to help I, your I do, uh, clients overall. I think I've lived my it? life half, pretty much half in both the countries now. Uh, my Indian cultural heritage and my values, in my cultural values are very, very close uh -huh. to my heart, of course. Um, but I think um, I, I bring out I definitely bring out a mixed, um, good mixed understanding of the Indian cultural side of things, especially when I'm dealing with um, clients from the Indian community. I do have um, a good variety of 
um, Indian and Caucasian clients in general, um, all, all heaps of, you know, a wide range of age and socioeconomic background and everything mm -hmm. else. So it, I think it does help them to come and see a therapist that understands the Indian, right. you know, the cultures, the rules and the regulations and, you know, the religious side of things and the expectations and the society and all of that. So it does, um, I do definitely use my my upbringing and my own experience and my upbringing in India, of course, um, at, at therapy when it's relevant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, the reason I'm asking you this is when we were growing mm -hmm. up, there was this almost blanket idea that the West was more permissive with regard to their norms, yeah. with regard to their, uh, what they found taboo or just their behavior, their outlook in life. But I, I think there are still certain things which are, which are a global phenomenon, right? I mean, the way mm -hmm. we want to protect our kids, the way that we might want certain values in our children. So that way, do you ever find that, you know, when you're dealing with um, parents who've bringing, you know, who are currently bringing their children up in a different manner than yours, do you find that um, their value system ever at war with the way you were brought up maybe? Because back then, we didn't yeah, really take inputs from our kids, right? I mean, there was just a way the parents told you how to be. And, and, and you know, yeah. exactly. And, and that's the kind of microcosm that you functioned in. So do you ever find um, kind I of, do, you know, yes, that uh, kind from of time to time. I'm, I think I'm ever? still overthinking the question. Um, but, um, but I think, yeah, no, but I think I think the values for everyone, okay. um, or really a lot of, one. I mean, not everyone, <laughs> I would, I would say the values of family values are the same, regardless of the cultural background. So everyone, you know, for example, would would value a loving relationship mm -hmm. in the family, honesty, you know, right. hard work, focus on career or, or studies or what have you. But the way that they're going about doing those things can be quite different. So I, in my in my practice, right. I do have um biracial clients I do have mm -hmm. um, you know like I said Indian and Caucasian clients as well and they struggle to find their they struggle to form their own rule book so they have their own certain upbringing regardless of where they are from and they want the similar things for their kids as well but they find they find it hard to uh, mix and match mm -hmm. in terms of what what is doable nowadays and what was doable when they were young themselves right. so I think it's about being having that flexibility and that mm -hmm. openness to chop and change and be open to ideas that will work for your family, which may not have worked um, if you were in a different country. Yes. So I guess that's where a person like you can end up being a very good bridge between mm -hmm. both, right? Because you know where the parents are coming from because you have that upbringing. At the same time, you went to Australia as a student. So uh, the way that yes. you would have lived, um, that would still have been from a younger person's yeah. point of view rather yeah. than having just gone there for a job or as an adult. So yeah, I'm glad. Um, since we are talking about Australia more at this time, are there any specific trends that you find that children in Australia are impacted by? I mean, we see um, in US, mm. UK, these places are always splashed all over the international media, gun violence yeah. and hate crimes, and so many things which are now being carried out by children. Is that um, I think we're, we are quite blessed in terms in of the, the laws and the, the you know, regulations and um, arms are definitely not um, not okay in our country. So we don't have those sort of issues. But again, I think the stuff that I was speaking about before, it's the whole acculturation issues, you know, people 
trying to, because Australia is a new country, it's a baby country compared to India or UK or um, US, and we have lots and lots and lots mm -hmm. of migrant population. So I think that the trend or what I find most common is is people trying to right. mix cultures, people trying to come up, like I said, with their own rule book that works with their family to 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 um, make things work for themselves or for their children. Uh -huh. So it's 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 a confusion that you know what 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 part of parenting right. do we continue that has been going on for generations, regardless of where we are, where do we learn new things, where do we let go of certain things as parents ourselves. Um, without feeling guilty about because it's nothing to do with tradition or values of respect but this is the mm -hmm. way things are done now so that's some of the very common elements or common issues that um, parents that walk through my door face not yeah okay now um, the way that things are done now I mean I hear so many people um, calling the kids mm -hmm. these days and, and when I'm saying kids I'm, I'm primarily talking about the preteens and teens because the, the children younger than preteens mm -hmm. we still kind of have a handle on them they're still yes. a lot more dependent on us to you know get through their sorry what was that so uh, this TikTok generation if I could oh, the, call yes that. yes are yeah. there certain things the TikTok generation maybe you know yeah so uh, this particular group um do you find that uh, there are certain things in them that are troubling and at the same time that might be uh, a good indicator of, well, you know, them being well adjusted or, um, I or having that, a good um, clarity of thought with regard to I their mean, future? For, for, you know, for the preteens, again, rules are very different in different households. So some children have certain access to TikTok or Instagram or all those social media stuff. Certain families have just you know, they're not okay with the children access, accessing those things. Um, I find that the children that do have access to uh -huh. those things in general have a lesser um, level of emotional, I don't want to say intelligence, but le less, lesser capacity to deal with different types of emotions. They find things, just because they're on TikTok, they might find something that's funny or that's cool, whereas in real life or day-to-day -day life, it may not be okay or it may not be appropriate. Uh -huh. um, does that make sense? So the whole peer pressure of, you know, thinking that, oh, you know, someone falling down of mm -hmm. a chair um, just because they're doing pranks out of it. It's it's a cool thing right. to do and something to join. Whereas in real mm -hmm. life, if someone falls down a, um, off a chair, you wouldn't really laugh or you shouldn't laugh and you wouldn't make fun of it. So I think they're, they're, they're finding it hard to distinguish between what is what is all what is fake right. and what is just there for laughs. And how does that translate to the to the day to day real life experience? But tell me one thing. I mean, why do you think things like Snapchat, where children are uh, losing, uh, well, I think it, it might sound a little judgmental saying that they're losing some sense of propriety, but children are far more comfortable sharing, um, you know, very intimate details of their body, their life, mm. their thoughts. Yeah. It's pretty much everything is out there and laid bare, sometimes literally. So why do you think this particular kind of a phenomenon is? I mean, Right from the time a yeah. child is born, the, the first instinct of a mm -hmm. parent is just to keep them safe. And, and you know, we say, we talk about stranger danger. We're trying we to. Touch back yes. Back. So essentially, we're erecting walls around them, primarily for their safety. Yeah. So, um, I mean, do you think that this uh, breaking away of these walls and yeah, just putting everything out there for the entire world to consume, do you, do you think that this kind of a thing is coming to children because... 
we've either been too protective or do you yeah. think that they are I just think, in a mode think, where they I want think to share talk- and, and they want to be understood? Sorry? I mean, I, I've never really been able to understand why. The fascination, isn't I said, it? I haven't really been able to understand why a yeah. teenage girl I, or a boy would be very comfortable. Exactly. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how yeah, troubling th- it might be, but I find there yeah, are and really I, 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 I really don't think it's to do with what the protectiveness be. or the overprotectiveness yeah. of the parent. I think it's just, uh, um, it's and it's not always the forbidden fruit phenomena as well. I think it's it's just a fascination. It's the wanting to, you know, fit in and be a part of the, the online community. A lot of, um, you know, preteens or teenagers even, they find it easier to express themselves uh-huh. online because face-to-face can be hard. It can be, you know, anxiety-provoking, trying to share your views with someone else. So it's all easily done online. And I think parents, again, need to be um, or should be, you know, in touch with sort of what's mm. going on because overprotecting them or banning them won't really help. So ongoing discussions as draining as it may be, as, as, as you know, they may almost sort of seem right. like you're nagging, but the ongoing discussions about what's appropriate, what's not, um, you know, messages like you are enough and, you know, they don't matter and you do you, all those, all those things that we say, I think almost needs to become um, like a mantra in the house that we keep repeating. So even though the children might get sucked into the whole um, online life, so to speak, they know that this is temporary and how many likes I get or how many comments I get on my picture or whatever doesn't really define who I am because we don't want them to turn into stuff that feeds or doesn't feed into their self-worth, isn't it? Because that's what it comes down to for me anyway. So uh, tell me this, what kind of, um, what kind of an ecosystem have you set up for your children with regard to them being able to express themselves Mm -hmm. and um, what exactly would you like for the both of them, yes, especially for the elder one, because he's um, on the threshold of becoming a teenager. So what is it that as a mother and as a therapist, what is, um, yeah. what are you comfortable basically? What kind of groundwork are I you comfortable my, laying out for them? So they feel constant message in the house, skin. right? From even before they were born is communicate, communicate, communicate. So regardless of what it is or what whatever's going on there's no no topic of limit in our house there's no feelings that we can't express or can't discuss um so what i think in terms of my groundwork just showing them again role modeling that you're allowed to feel whatever you feel but let's talk about it let's talk about what's going on what's troubling you what's not troubling you when you are ready doesn't always have to be right here right now but um able to and again just just actually just before we started the recording um, mm-hmm. my son had some difficult um, emotions that he had to experience around um, the rules around screen time in my house and I, I had again the chat with him that you know your body's going through a lot and your mind is going through a lot right now and I, I uh-huh. have been there so I know exactly how you're feeling but my rules are what they are so again um, empathizing understanding giving examples of, yeah you know this is what happened to me or this is what's happening with me as well but let it all out go and regulate in your own room and space when you have to otherwise we talk about stuff we label the stuff and I think mm. it's going to be an ongoing process in my house till they till they till they move out I suppose yes yes yeah <laughs> no I mean um, what I've always uh, found interesting is that um, mm. It, it usually gets to a kind of an us versus them wherein 
if I ever used to tell my parents a few things, they, oh, the first yes. thing I would hear from them is, yes. oh, this is nothing. Yeah. You know, you should have seen how we grew up. You should have seen how your grandparents were. Yeah. And um, now the other day I, I found my, mm-hmm. I found myself relating yeah. uh, an incident to my, my child incidentally from our school wherein, um, mm. you know, if, if a particular homework wasn't yeah. done and you were the house captain or if you were one representative in the class, you had to take the, oh, the burden of the punishment yeah. for somebody else uh, yes, who was yes, in your yes. house. Because to set an example, you know, you remember those things? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So, and, and, and the thing yeah. is, A, he was horrified and after a while we he didn't was have like, a choice, was did wrong, we? you know, why did you go with it? And, yeah. and I had no answer except to say that's, that yeah exactly so i wanted to let my son know i mean in a very very roundabout way and finally i brought it back Mm. home saying that see you have a choice and you will always have choices but the best thing is to think about it and wherever you're stuck ask for help because yeah i think as a parent that's the only thing i can keep reiterating ask for help absolutely one of us will try to do the level such an important message to give isn't it that regardless of how we feel we may not always agree on things we may not you know always see eye to eye or whatever but we're there for you we are one team and we'll have your back in the best possible way yeah uh-huh absolutely absolutely and i think that's a, that's a beautiful note to wind up our uh, first segment on if you wouldn't yes. mind uh, giving us the recommendation absolutely. of the book you had mentioned in the beginning of the session greatly. And so have the courage to be vulnerable. So it's, if, if you just look up Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, I'm absolutely uh-huh. in love with her work. This is the second one that I've picked up. I just I just read a couple of things uh-huh. about her online and I ordered all her books and I'm going through them one by one. Um, not nowhere close to the speed that you would be reading them, I'm sure, but I'm taking my time um, and I'm going through them. I think I think it's beautiful. Um, I'll give you the name anyway if you want to just add it to the, the podcast yeah. description. Yeah. I'm just going to see if uh, there's a digital version of it okay. because uh, not all books no. are uh, available very easily or very quickly, especially if they're from foreign publishers. Thank so you so I'll much. Look that up. Yeah, it's been great catching up with you and I can't wait for our next segment. So, um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad that um, we're discussing mm-hmm. so many things, not only from the point of view of children, but also from the point of view of parents, because yes. I think we all need reminding that we were one of those tiny humans once upon a time. And we might not have had it yes, very easy. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Um, let's give the kids a break and let's hear them out. Thanks so, so much. You know, Bye. Hopefully that's that.